0: This is the Atlanta Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat
1: management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All
0: right, welcome back, guys. Thanks for joining us once again, Lana Legacy Podcast. Matt and I are back together in the truck, headed uh, headed home. If you've heard last week's podcast, you heard us talk about headed up to do some stuff for HuntWorks. Yes. You've heard the podcast with Greg Glessinger, Matt, and myself, discussing HuntWorks and all that we're working on there. And, and I would encourage each and every one of you to check out social media and search HuntWorks uh, with an X. So that's... H U N T W O R X Hunt Works, new exciting venture for us that I hope many of you will learn and, and watch and follow and enjoy and uh, all the stuff. So, yeah, I mean honestly, we had a, a
1: couple of really good productive days um, getting stuff filmed and put together uh, in preparation for that season and season launch on television, the Sportsman's Channel. Um, but then also making more decisions and plans as this thing is really developing and turning into an, an awesome product. I'm, I'm excited to be able to see what this really looks like. I know we have our vision, and uh, I, I, I think that we are really close to being able to execute on exactly what we're trying to achieve there. So not only is it going to be on Sportsman's, but there's also going to be a lot of information on a HuntWorks YouTube page um, that we will share with You'll you guys You'll learn more here. about later. Yep, guess. here in, in, in the next little bit. But um, definitely definitely a fun couple of days. And sure, just so happened to be falling in uh, last week of Missouri's turkey season. And so we had
0: a few mornings that we were able to get out with... A few. We hunted every. Well, you guys <laughs> hunted every morning. I was there the last two mornings. So we
1: hunted so. three mornings.
0: Um,
1: well, actually, we hunted some in Iowa too, because yep. um, Casey Morgan had a had an Iowa tag, and then um, Jared Larson from On X was down in camp with us and had some time to spend and was able to be successful in Missouri. So, honestly, the the property we were hunting it was one of those places that that had very light pressure in the past couple of years but just exceptionally strong turkey numbers and it was sitting back against a tree and two really good gobbling mornings like still quiet it was 34 cool. one yeah. morning like high upper 30s th- this morning um clear low you mean you yeah, said that's high. I, yeah. 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 I said high upper
0: 30s yeah, this okay. morning. Okay, yes. So, so it was, the low was like 38, and then it warmed up into the 60s. Yep. Beautiful. And,
1: and so just the picture-perfect mornings and the amount of gobbling we heard in every direction, up and down the ridge system, I, I don't know how many birds it was. Because you can't really even accurately count them because um, it was like the, the chain that, domino effect kind of gobbling was like
0: and i was like it was over 20 easy yeah oh yeah oh yeah probably more like closer to 40 than it was closer to 20. it was just exceptional
1: uh to be able to hear that many birds and just be in the in and amongst them
0: um like where no. you would hear a gobble and you think, Oh, okay, there's a single and then lo and behold the more you listen you're like, I think there might be another one. Oh, there's actually three. Most times it was
1: it was ab- definitely multiple birds roosted together. Yeah. And uh just that just that pinball back and forth. It was almost like they'd start they'd start gobbling from the west and just come right down the ridge past you and then keep going to the east and then it was almost like this big circle. When they were done it just continue merry-go-round of gobbling, and I
0: haven't heard gobbling like that in a long time. So yeah. this is this, this is the kind of humorous part of it to me, is the anecdotal stuff that we see going on right now with turkeys and being like, you know, I trapped my farm, and now there's, I trapped hard the last two years, so now there's turkeys everywhere, or I did all kinds of burning on my farm. I'm, I'm giving one for us. Are uh, an example like us. We burned all over, and we're seeing more turkeys. And not hunting hard. And not hunting hard. Well, and then here's this farm that hadn't been hunted in at least three years, and there's turkeys everywhere. Well, because of that, we can say anecdotally that if you don't hunt the turkeys, you'll have them next year. And you can and you can uh, stockpile them. Right, right. Which right. isn't true, but it's that's how easy it is to base and to to. To, to get, create, to create your anecdotal opinions.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but whatever the ex- exact reason is, it was fun. It was um, awesome. We, the, we the were sitting back there, back-to-back uh, back on the same tree with, with Jared this morning. And I was like, dude, how how blessed are we just to be sitting right here in this moment, just listening to this, being able to call this careers and just taking a morning like 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 this yeah. I mean, it just is like ugh. what more can you really ask for uh from a, from an experiential standpoint of being outdoors in the turkey woods during
0: a springtime frame yeah it's kind of one of those we all got problems because well your problem may be you don't have that many birds but when you have that many birds you know what the problem is there's so many hens <laughs> well that, and, and that's exactly what i told him i was like
1: dude there's so many gobblers on this ridge i said but if you if you listen close i said uh, just about every group that we're hearing there's yeah. right behind the gobbles i was like there's hens all crawling all over this yeah. place and uh and short. i mean that hunting experience wise like that's what we were hearing and experiencing. Well, like yesterday, late morning, we were there's two groups of birds that we got onto 11, 11:30 in the day, um, and one group was, was a group of three to- three uh, longbeards. You glass them, and they're probably 450 yards away, coming across a burned area, and there's two little ditches in between us and those toms, and there's there's two hens making their way completely different group separate group from those three it's like that's happening in the timber like in between almost every setup and scenario that you do so these turkeys although there's lots of birds gobbling there's lots of hens to intercept them and for them to um essentially screw up a good thing and that happened yesterday morning on a calling in a couple birds um it just hens popped up out of nowhere and just completely derailed a situation and uh, took the attention, let's say, away from the setup. But yep. nonetheless, and, super and,
0: fun. But Jared got both his birds. Yes. Casey got an Iowa bird. Yep. And we I had a good tried time. my hand at fanning or reaping. You did. <laughs> you did. And I bet people are shocked. And I'm shocked even saying it. I am too. I, uh, I'm proud so, of you. So Jared, which, you know, is, so we called in four birds yesterday. To 40 yards, but there was a hen out 30 yards in front of them. And they're trying to
1: milk, 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 milk footage and experience, mm-hmm. which absolutely do. Like,
0: <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Yep. Jared said he wanted the full experience, so he'd elected to not shoot. Yeah. So those birds stood at 40 yards, gobbled a few times, and then the hen got nervous because she was eight yards from us. And, uh, so probably she,
1: four from them.
0: Yeah. And so, uh, She floated back towards them and then took them away. And so he's like, oh, it's fine. We'll get on some more. Well, and then uh, we just felt we dealt with hend-up turkeys all day yesterday after that hunt. So didn't get it done. Went back out this morning, dealt with more hend-up birds, and then had a bird coming in, and then hens intercepted, and he walked off. And he actually took the fan and popped over the hill, and they charged him, and he shot one. Mm hmm And— well, that yeah, that was a group of two Longbeards and a and a Jake. Yeah, there's just so many turkeys on this place, and we were we had a pretty strict cutoff, and we were driving out and we found a uh, one uh, a Tom in a field, and I still have a tag. So Casey, who who loves to use a fan with with his setups if possible, um, encouraged me to do it, and I think everybody else pushed me into it because they knew how much i really not see myself as a person who would use a fan and uh not that it's bad it's just like we self-regulate so much that it's like okay i've self-regulated myself into where i likely kill one turkey in the spring last year i didn't kill any it's like i'm trying to do like i really want to just make i'm willing to decrease my kills as long as i maximize my experiences Experience. and so in this case though we're hunting a farm that is just filthy with turkeys and I, that's pretty that's a pretty fair statement it's just turkeys everywhere to the point where you're just constantly hearing turkeys in the morning that fly down they're gobbling everywhere and you're just you you could make yourself mad chasing There's, There really wasn't a sp- there
1: was one spot i can remember yesterday mid-morning where we drove to to go- call and check where we didn't have a response
0: yeah, and so one place, <laughs> one place, and so anyway, um, handed me the fan, and I actually crawled within forty yards of that turkey, but he didn't want to fight it. He was more interested in just strutting with the two hens. He,
1: he saw he saw it as a as a threat and cowered down to the threat, as opposed to accepting the threat and and basically coming to it. Correct.
0: Yeah, he would have probably <laughs> fought it. I would imagine if if the hens would have come closer to me. Yeah, but he was like the hens were staying with him and. He was fine with that, so mm-hmm. I just was like, you know, I don't really want to crawl into the middle of him and and shoot him just because I was able to use that to get down to him.
1: Use use a hill yeah. to be able. If to get he would have came
0: up and fought, I told I that's what I told Max, <coughs> the cameraman. I said, if if I'm gonna shoot, he's gonna come to the gun barrel because mm-hmm. I want the full experience. Yeah. Just because I've dogged it a little bit over the years, and
1: <laughs> yes,
0: and so I'm like. You know, I I've never actually done it, so you gotta. And then that's the thing. That's what I think has to be fair about it, is like
1: some of these things, you just got like try it, just see what yeah. that experience is. Yeah. But but you're right. You're trying to yield a certain response from that, or invoke it with the aggressive. Hey, here's a turkey out in the field. Pop over. Hopefully they just run at you. Um, but when you didn't get that, and said. Ah. Yeah. you know, you know let He's let the turkey let the turkey slide and walk off the ridge and continue about its day. Yeah. That's all okay. Ain't uh, nothing wrong with that.
0: We we ended up crawling over again another little knoll one more time to give him another look and he was like, Nope and he half strutted himself quickly mm-hmm. to the other side of the field about 80 yards and then blew up in the shade and turned around like ha ha see look at me (laughs) and i just told max i said let's just get out of here and leave him alone he's got his two hands and he doesn't want to fight yep and so that's what we did but i can say now that i tried it and i was able to if wanted to harvest one i could have you know we had three and a half inch shells in there little part of me started thinking about that i could be laying prone shooting three and a half that wouldn't feel very good it wouldn't have felt very good on that collarbone (laughs) (laughs) i was like yeah i'm gonna make sure i stay on my knees and crawl and so but yeah that was a pretty well uh and that may be the last of turkey hunting you hear who knows how the weekend will go there's a few days left but um we're going to shift this week more into the food plot side and discuss um some of the food plot strategies that we have in place to try to uh maximize are hunting and habitat uh, supplementation for this summer and fall, which is huge. which uh, I hope that everyone continues
1: to learn that and adapt that into the reason and purpose of why they do a food plot is for it to be supplemental to the rest of a property. Um, one of the things that we, we were discussing kind of through HuntWorks this week is just like not every farm is going to shine appropriately at every single time of the year. Like there, there could be some limitations or just some time frames in which it shines. Um, and so there's other time frames in which there's some, some potential deficits. And when you look at an overall property and do a firm evaluation uh, of those food resources – the best thing you can be is absolutely critical of knowing when those deficits are Um, and and if you want to combine food plotting with hunting strategy then you look at those time windows um, that that in which food resources would be limited during hunting season and you make the plays so obviously right now we're talking about spring food plots and You've got, you've got a lot of different options, but most of the time frames right now that we're going to be talking about is, is planting annual-type varieties of crops uh, during this window in preparation for um, either deficiencies during the spring and summer months, which doesn't happen a ton, um, but also the uh, windows in which to plant grain for late season options so we're both going to kind of break down our current situation food plots um, what we're going to look at to be doing this spring and then how that's going to apply to our hunting scenarios for the fall and let's say the direction um, and the compatibility of additional food during these windows to achieve x goal on your farm And then on uh, where my house sits at. So, um, Adam, for you guys, when we're talking about supplementing the native forage opportunity and to have clear goals for your food plots,
0: what does your guys' plan for the spring look like? Yeah, so when you look at the Midwest and that kind of that central latitude, you can kind of understand that some years, the winter's the worst stress period, and other years, the uh, the late summers, summer can be the biggest stress period. For example, 2022, the biggest stress period we had was late summer. We had that June into July, I, so I guess that'd be early summer, even though, to me, summer is more like between the end of school and the beginning of the next year of school. Um, right, right. But... That was the biggest stress period. Like that, we, ha- that was bad. And then and then September, October was rough. Yeah. Oct- early October was rough. Yeah. And so we're trying to supplement. We're trying to fill a lot of these holes whenever stress levels may be high. And, and, and some years it could be late winter. So mm-hmm. we're trying to add standing grain. We're trying to add woody browse. Uh, we're trying to get as much food that could be used during that time of the year as possible. I don't want to derail this conversation, but I, w- I just do want to take a second to mention. Someone
1: might say to that, um, a new calf, new calf nice someone it matches m- mama, yeah, it sure does someone w- may uh, may say to that well how how how, do, how would I be planting something in anticipation for um, a drought or a droughty time that I don't know if it's going to come or not if it kind of changes throughout a given year well, that's very wise of you to to ask a pose a question like that, but really the response is that's why we focus so heavily from a droughting a drought standpoint on native forages that can handle situations like that where you're planting annual varieties you have to have a significant amount of rainfall to get a seed to germinate to get it to sprout and not be over browsed and fight through those stressful time frames of a drought so um when when we're talking about planting we're really talking about that in comparison to native forages and relying on -hmm. the native forages to kind of get you through a growing season type droughty scenario because at the end of the day the the landscape if you have 40 acres you're not going to have to hunt you don't have 40 acres of food plots but you have the let's just say two acres of food plot and 38 acres that should have ample amount of native forages on it to produce that
0: additional food so take the pressure off that additional food plot as well the browsing pressure so I'll just kind of give you some cliff notes of the rundown of where we're going with our food plot planting this this spring. Um, so as you remember, last year inflation of of herbicides really kicked in. So herbicides went through the roof like last year three times. Yeah, like we were buying glyphosate for around thirty eight to forty five dollars for a two and a half gallon yeah. jug. Correct. And last year it was about 125 to 145 that we were finding in the same stores we'd bought it the year previous. Doll hairs. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of a lot of change. And uh, so we elected because we we don't treat our food plots like you would normally see someone treat it, where it's like. Everything's dialed. You got to constantly keep the weeds at bay. And you Meticu- got to get it meticulous. Yeah. And so Manicured. we're like, you know what? We're going to smother it this year. Let's plant a lot of blends and let's just try to choke out weeds. Sorry to be distracted, but to give you an example of how dry we are already this seen year. i not
1: Truman this dry.
0: We're driving over Truman Lake right now, and, and it is so incredibly low that, that there, there's probably guys concerned about a drought forming right now in, in May. And um, if I were to pick a time of the year that I would want it to be somewhat dry, it would probably be this time of the year, mm-hmm. because we have got a lot of nesting birds. We'll likely get the rain later. I have all all confidence in the good Lord's going to bring the rain to us. But right now, I'm not I'm not uh, upset about it, even though this is quite shocking. Driving over Truman Lake, looking at it is. in this in this form, but um, so. In f- with, with herbicide being so high, we, we planted blends. We drilled blends into clo- perennial clover fields. And, you know, if you go back to a podcast last spring, early summer, very similar to this time frame, you heard that plan in place for us. And it actually worked given the fact we were in a horrific drought last year. So if you went into some of our plots that were perennial clover, You would see we still have clover, and we had milo that was up. It just didn't form good seed heads due to the drought in June and July and parts of August and all of September and parts of October. Um, And so that's what our plan was, was just let's try to smother everything. Let's not worry about herbicide. Let's just get stuff growing. If weeds grow, that's deer food. If it's invasives, we'll try to treat it. We didn't have a ton of invasives. So, the idea is that this year we'll take care of our weeds and we're going to go to a lot of soybeans planted in our food plots to try to clean up some of our fields that had a few invasives and non natives. And, you know, some of these were dozed a couple years ago. So, we're starting to get a few woody sprouts popping up. Just because persimmons mainly. And uh, so we're going to address those with some herbicide with the Roundup Ready soybean. And um, and that's, that's the great debate right now, man, is, well, you clearly don't – you clearly don't um, – you aren't trying to build soil. You aren't trying to conserve soil health. You're planting monoculture. And, yes, we talk about the importance of not relying on monocultures, but we're using them to – try to prepare some of these fields for diversity again so it'll be diversity a lot more than it'll be monoculture and the great debate that i enjoy is these die hard big buck killers these guys that are like we're killing good deer late season we're really good at food plotting deer into success greg glessinger casey morgan these guys you know, they kill a lot of really big deer in food plots and around food plots. I think it's Seth as well. Seth, same way. And they will debate. I mean, they would tell you that standing soybeans or standing corn or field Nebraska's are incredible at yeah. attracting deer. You don't see them planting many blends unless it's like a 12-way fall blend. But you do not see summer blends out of them going into the fall. <laughs> right. And so, we, you know, we love those summer blends in places where... You can't grow soybeans because of deer pressure. But if you can grow the soybeans and you are trying to stri- uh, strategically plant stuff for harvesting, then it's something to consider. I, wouldn't, I would encourage you to do it every single year, but I would still consider it on some years. And, and field size obviously is very important when it comes to that. Like yeah, The expectation
1: no of planting a monoculture, specifically soybeans that are going to get browsed heavily, throughout the growing season corn maybe not as much but then you might have bears or you might have raccoons throughout the fall um and if you have smaller fields and a limited supply of that um heavy carb then you're gonna probably not make it through hunting season the coldest time frame, the late season with that food available and still attracting so we need to consider that as part of it but Uh, You know, at the end of the day, standing grain can be a wonderful thing. And I think for your guys' case, this is something that we have said from day uno, you know, if you do need to use that monoculture annual planting, there's extreme value there from the standpoint of, hey, I can clean up the excess or excessive amount of weed pressure in there, because I can use an herbicide over the unit during the growing season and kind of get back to square one, if you will. But without a doubt, you're going to experience browse pressure, um, but you're going to be given opportunities to easily come back in there, overseed, or drill through, depending on the beans, how they are, during the August time frame. No doubt. And it's not... So it's not like... I, I just want to make people aware that, like, it's not like if you plant a soybean field or a soybean food plot May 15th and you come back in August 15th, so you have one, two, three, like three months of a monoculture, that, like, r- we're going to see this ridiculously massive decline of, like, the fertility of your soil because that happened. You're yeah. coming back at the same during the same growing season with a 12-way blend that's mm-hmm. going to take off like it's going to be quite okay i think we can get ourselves just all twisted up in knots because of the a lot of the information out there um regarding soil health and principles and things like that oh there's a strutter um and that's that's important to you know consider but i think we the we have to consider things with with within the context, though, too. Yep. And I think easily because of the passion that's involved with food plots, we we just take things to a whole new level. It's like stop complicating the system and the game and the objective here, guys. Let's keep it simple. That's what you guys are doing um, for the majority of your open ground food plots is just square one in it, having some additional supplemental forage. Not that. You don't have a probably a pretty um good, uh, robust understory developing post timber harvest and post uh, yeah there's um, fire food everywhere on our place yeah so it's 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 not like it's necessary but it will be a good tool honestly I think your your fall food plots if rain comes late summer are probably going to be phenomenal
0: yeah they should as long as we get the rain. Yeah, and so ultimately we're looking at planting soybeans. We've got a few areas we're going to plant like an ancestry or a heritage from Stratton Seed Company, mm-hmm. and we're probably going to graze them once or twice through the summer months as kind more of a experimenting. Graze. Yep, more more experimenting going on, and um, and that's really kind of the overall plan. We got some corn we're going to plant, uh, mix it with soybeans like we've done in the past going to maybe try to do some fields or areas of fields in straight corn and then keep some weeds at bay and then return in july and plant brassicas underneath and see what that does yep um likewise a lot a lot of fun planned. i mean i i love food plots and i will never ever apologize for loving those. Like I feel like sometimes we get pushed around, Matt, in our opinions where it's like, we're really big native habitat guys, so therefore we're not gonna like food plots. Or and, and the food plot crowd goes, Well those guys only care about native vegetation. Push us to the side and then now it's like, Well, look, these guys only care about food plots. No, that's not what we're saying. But we yeah. sure do enjoy all of it. So Yeah and that, that's the most important thing of it is like stop Put,
1: like focusing having like sole narrow focus on things it is it yeah. is you should have a dynamic approach to your land management your your nu- nutritional side of um a property and and i don't want that to seem so silly because i think that has been uh hijacked from like the feeding baiting side of things when you when you talk nutrition you know what i mean like everything's like compared to analysis protein this and that i'm just talking about like Tonnage of native forage, and then tonnage that you can be that can be produced in a food plot—clover, alfalfa, soybeans, um, annual mixes, blends, like all those things—it's it's above and beyond. It's high quality forage, and it's that like that's it. We don't have to complicate this thing. So that's no cool. Doubt. You got a lot of lot of little uh, yeah, What do you got options? Yeah. So on uh, on the home place. Last fall, last late summer, had converted and devoted about two to two and a half acres um, in alfalfa. So really gone heavier into the, the long-term perennial crop because of the scenarios that we had seen play out so many times before when it came to try and establish a successful fall crop early enough, like catch enough rain early in the fall or late in the summer. To have enough pull to those food sources during hunting season and specifically like the early portion of hunting season and so um that really wasn't working with generally when our rains would come and having limited amount of acreage uh, to be able to plant i wanted something that was consistent it was going to be persistent um, could be managed relatively easily um, because being on site there so I love turkeys, love deer, and decided to go with alfalfa. And uh, that got seeded, came up great, um, and that's a big bulk of that opening. But as a added protection, let's say, <coughs> shielding eyeballs and kind of creating a, a more of a buffer because it is essentially an extension of um, my backyard where the house sits and everything, and we're outside a ton in the garden during the growing season, Um, putting chickens and ducks up late in the evening. I wanted a secondary buffer from year two of switchgrass so I've left a barrier if you will a horseshoe around that alfalfa field um, and we'll be planting that in corn um, here in the next week or so and allowing that structurally to block and shield the, the view of that alfalfa field and then have Obviously, some late season grain options, and having the ability to, similar to you guys, um, basically going and broadcast brassicas and wheat or oats into the rows during the right time frame. So having maximizing the amount of open ground that you can from late season grain to um, the greens, plus having that alfalfa. So you know, I think going into bow season. That alfalfa is going to be rocking. Yeah. Um, like It's going to be pulling and holding and feeding a ton of deer throughout the summer time frame, which is going to be fantastic. So hopefully it's going to be pulling the right deer that might daylight early season. But then really, that's going to be attractive through into November, easy. Um, and then that's where the corn kind of picks up for more of a late season approach. And it's not a lot of corn, but it's still some.
0: Yeah. And the other thing, too, is keep in mind that this field that is now alfalfa two years ago was fescue. Straight fescue. And so the wildlife still haven't conditioned to that just being a primary food source for the area. So yeah. that's what I'm, I'm excited to see. Because, like, last year you had... Uh, a a summer blend i think heritage and some other stuff mixed in heritage that was struggling and it's just struggle because of horrible drought yeah and so i've been trying to get you to hook up the sprinklers it's in your back (laughs) doorstep but um, i need a heck of a lot of them (laughs) and i just uh like i think this is going to be the first year of seeing summer patterns shift oh yeah and hopefully you'll see some velvet antlers in there yeah, um, they this they've year. they've started growing and showing up a little bit and that's
1: certainly exciting um, and that and that's another fantastic reminder of the value of clover and alfalfa fields the perennial nature of them is those things have been green and growing like it's 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 it's, it's pretty much ready to bale if you wanted to right now yeah. um so it like the the clover and the alfalfa has been green since March 20th uh-huh. And and antlers started growing right there, late March, early April. So it's like you they grew up. They
0: started growing together.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so we're we're a month and two weeks um, into the the alfalfa clover growing season, and the onset there, uh, roughly four weeks of of antler growth. And here we are, right? We've got crops, and and now at this moment, we're talking about within the next two weeks, we're going to be planting these summer annual yeah. forages and in food plots so uh, that's that's just another huge win on the perennial side of things mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion and but like you said there's a lot of conditioning to do and what of I, I can't think of it honestly a better crop that can handle some browse pressure because you know there's not a lot of improved forages in this area and yeah. so trying to have you know two two and a half acres, of that one crop and not letting it just get absolutely pounded um is g- is gonna be nice to see just just how many deer do stack in because it's gonna it, it, I think it's gonna happen here yeah it will be fun fun to watch out out the uh, out the window and through the uh, through the reveals but yeah I, you know that kind of covers the basis I th- for, I that think for, big field. for a lot of people well,
0: what what I like is that food plots is always a an experiment for people, like it's. I, a, I
1: forgot of an experiment, but continue. I Go think ahead.
0: for a lot of people, like they try new things each and every year. Not on the whole farm, but in certain foods, food plots, they'll be like, "I'm going to do this this year." Yep. And that's what I like. Like I don't like being nailed down, being I have to do this, and that's what I'm going to do. Like mm-hmm. uh, one of the big things we've done is like, well, people always say don't mix corn with soybeans. Well, why? Right. Let's do it. Right. Yeah. We're not, I, harvest, a, we're not harvesting a, these. And I'm aware that the yield won't be as high because we didn't plant a monoculture of corn. Right. We're going to compete with – I'm aware of that. But I'm weighing out different benefits than just the yield from the corn. I want some summer forage. When yep. I just have the corn, it's not as beneficial for summer forage. So, therefore, throwing it in, that's great. And so, th- that's one big thing. Like, I love hearing about different people's experiences People, if you're, uh, like, tag us on social media with some of your experiences at Lana Legacy. And also, there's a a code for 10% off at the Stratton Seed Company. Go Stratton Seed or StrattonSeedCompany.com if you use LL10. Capital L's. Yep, LL. So LL10 for 10% off. Uh, of the food plots, you had something el- food plot seed. You had something else you want to say?
1: Yeah, it, there's another section of that that back field, <coughs> and opting this year, it's probably half an acre in size. Um, opting this spring to not plant it. It, it it's it's kind of weedy. I tried to do some uh, frost seeding last year of clover into it, but then I ultimately decided, hey, I'm just going to do alfalfa, so I don't need a half acre of clover next to the alfalfa. So I just didn't really do anything with it but um that's a strategy in and of itself and, and, and an opportunity in and of itself to allow that to go fallow not sprayed during the spring and let it go through ride through the majority of summer so then it is pretty fair polt rearing cover um, with the annual weeds, the expression there that's going to come. I know there's ragweed, mugwort, um, some daisies already coming into that field, Um, some brassica blooms thus far, and, and spotty clover in it. Um, but here in the next several months, next three months, it's going to have a role. It, it is a technical, air quote, food plot acreage, uh, but, but it may not look like a food plot. And it is intentionally going fallow to serve that purpose. And then in the late summer, we'll be totally sprayed out. And then we'll have fall annuals in that half acre as well. So, um, you know, I, I just want people to know that. Sure, it's food plot season. You're seeing farmers roll into the fields, um, getting their planting equipment out, or in some areas down south you're seeing um, corns, you know, well well, already developed, beans, everything. But at the end of the day, fallow fields or fallow food plots are useful. They have a role. They have a purpose. So not opting to not plant something um, can still be part of a, of a overall regime that is furthering or benefiting wildlife on the property what i mentioned there that's all deer food as well as again poult rearing cover uh, and forage so there's useful ways to still have food plot acres be beneficial without having to plant them or spend money on them so like last year you guys herbicide you're like screw that i don't want to i don't want to do that and and have all that expense well maybe you're the same way with uh, maintaining a field or two uh this this spring you don't have to buy seed you don't have to buy f- herbicide you don't have yep. to buy fertilizer just allow it to go fallow and then come back this fall totally fine and acceptable so um actually it's probably i'll say it's de- definitely going to be useful um if if you if you care about turkeys. So yep. there there you have it. Fallow is, is a way to cut cost yeah. and having a strategy. That's absolutely. So yep. um, all that wrapped up into essentially one field. So broken up, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have edges. It's going to have shielding cover or screening cover with the corn and the switchgrass, but perennial base with annuals sprinkled in, and then some fallow aspects, and then, going right into the uh, fall crop. So that's that's kind of my little experiments,
0: fun, that we're going to have at the house. And I'm, I'm excited to watch it grow. Yeah. Guys, we appreciate you listening this week, and we'll catch you next week. See hey you, guys.